Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors. That's right. Yeah, you do, buddy. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, Daniela was taking a trip to the office and she said, hey, I'm probably going to stop at Trader Joe's on my way back. And I said, oh, whoa, whoa. Trader Joe's, you say? <laughs> well, then. Did you know they I'm had gonna, beer at Trader Joe's? <laughs> I'm going to have to have you take a little gander in the beer aisle, find someone if need be, and ask about some uh, holiday season beers. Oh, nice. Are you already starting that? You're already starting it now? Yeah, man. Good yeah, God. you and Gary were, were talking about it in the group chat there, and it was like, you know what? I, I, I want to... I want to join in the fun there. And so I actually found something that is, I guess it's Thanksgiving. I guess it could be considered also Halloween. It is from Green Flash. It's Needs More Pumpkin, Spiced Pumpkin Porter. Oh, my. And how is it? Um, I, let's let's find out. Uh, what, what, about, what about you? What are you rocking today? <laughs> I am rocking... Dr. Pepper Zero. Oh, oh yeah, because you got to take a road trip, right? I don't or have to take little... a road trip. My, we are so inside baseball. We are recording this much later than we usually do because uh, one Keith Foster schedule is quite wonky over these next few weeks because we're recording this the week of San Diego Comic Con. We've got Emerald City coming up. So we're just all over the place. And my wife, as late as it is, as we're recording right now, my wife's flight lands in three and a half hours. So, you know, alcohol is, is a fun thing. You you ride the buzz. It goes up and it goes down. But what stays is the tired. And I can't, I just can't keep on adding loads of tired onto my shoulders. I actually had a beer at dinner a couple hours ago, and that was good enough. That was good enough. You know, my kid was okay. at practice, so I did that. So yeah, man, it's Dr. Pepper Zero and uh, and sparkling water. That's that's what. Would you Would you have earlier? Oh, I just had beer? a Pacifico. Um, have you? Oh, okay. Have you gone to? Have we gone to Baja Fish Tacos yet? Um. I've been separately. I don't know that we've gone together. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Baja Fish Tacos. There's one pretty close to where my kid practices. And it it is, you know, it's not like I want to eat it every Monday. But Mm -hmm. it is a great place for me to hang out. There's always the football game on. And you get three dollar fifty cent beers, and uh, and that's good enough for me. So they're oh yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, their refrigerator is nothing but Mexican and Caribbean lagers. So I just pick whatever one looks good at the time. I'm Pacifico is my favorite of that batch. So yeah, man, I had a Pacifico, and I did something else, which is gonna be my second thing when we get to it. Okay. Um, and going back to your question, it's actually really good spice pumpkin porter. I'm not huge on the whole pumpkin spice situation. I'm not. I'm not down on it either. I know people just shit on pumpkin spice, but this porter's pretty solid. I mean, it's it's green flash. Hard to fuck up with green flash. They're a solid brewery down here in San Diego. Um, I'm really enjoying this, and I think this is a just based off of the can. It's a riff off that old SNL skit. Yeah, with uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, right? needs, more needs more cow. Needs more cow. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So yeah, it's, it's quite good. Why do people shit on pumpkin spice? Can you explain that to me? Because I love pumpkin spice. I don't love it in excess, but I love it. I think it's because it's a thing. Mm. It's like the the holidays come around, and everyone goes, "Oh, pumpkin spice, pumpkins." pumpkin spice and then those naysayers the ones you know like uh 
oh, everyone is zigging, so I'm zagging. Oh, you like that garbage? You know, that type of shit. I'm so cool. Here's the cool thing I like. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and I, I, I can imagine you feeling that way when something has reached such a critical mass as pumpkin spice has. As we're getting closer and closer to the Christmas season here, we're right on the brink of it now. You can start to see all the all the Christmassy things come around. And I think where where Christmas flavors differ, like what, what makes Christmas an interesting time for all these seasonal things that are have just taken over our lives, I think for the better. I love all these seasonal things. I can't have enough of them, whatever season it is. When it comes to the Christmas season, you can typify that flavors in a few different ways. When it comes to Halloween and Thanksgiving, you typify it in one way. And that way is pumpkin spice. So mm-hmm. I do, I can understand the sentiment that you basically just get pumpkin spice up your ass for seven weeks there um, in October and in November. Um, but that said, I, I think it's pretty good. And I'm asking because pumpkin spice porters sound interesting i've tried a few that were pumpkin and they are disgusting you know like <laughs> you, i need to have that word spice as part of the pumpkin thing because there are some where right. it tastes like you're drinking a pumpkin and like raw pumpkin is gross uh, why would anyone want to drink that but you know <laughs> it's lost on me it's lost on me <laughs> you know it's not lost on you your first thing of the week first. so what'd you get into i'm first we're gonna talk we're gonna do two things involving national write a novel in the month of November, but we're not calling it novel November. <laughs> we're, we're still recording this in November, even though, uh, so we've still got a few in November here, even though they're not going to air for a while. So the mm-hmm. first thing, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to talk about this is that we are recording this again before Thanksgiving. So there's still a decent amount of days in November. And I'm here to say, everybody, the fifth draft is done. I finished it yesterday. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I finished it yesterday. And uh, what's what's cool about it, you know, I, I had laid it out that the first thing I wanted to do to consider this novel fifth draft complete was make a pass beginning to end in the novel get to the point where you type the end which i believe i mentioned casually last week so i did that i did that about um you know two weeks ago maybe a little bit less and then the next pass i wanted to do was this infamous dialect pass which i was talking about on the podcast previously and then in addition to that there was one more pass i wanted to do and that involved fixing a few things that were notes from the workshop that I was part of uh, almost two weeks ago. So uh, I was up for workshop. My workshop's back together um, after a couple months off where everybody was traveling, doing all kinds of stuff. So we're back We're back in our usual flow. And I got some really nice uh, workshop notes. You know, the, the big broad strokes of the novel are still strong, according to everybody. But there are some small things that needed some fixing. And uh, it took me a couple days to do that fixing. But as usual, I think the novel is better for it. And then I had a few things that were nice to haves in terms of this draft. But... Boy, I don't know. I don't know if you have this equivalent when you're drawing, but when you're writing and you're editing and you're writing and you're editing and you're writing and you're editing and you're writing and you're editing, you just get sick of it at some point. At some point, you reach the infamous. I used to do this with music all the time. I am too close. I need to stop thinking about this. I need to stop obsessing over it. I need to get away. 
is there is there an equivalent like that in drawing? Yeah, I would say so. It's it's um it's when the when the issue's wearing on you, I think. I think that it's just you've been drawing it for way too long. Sometimes you just need to get away, you like or if you're working on a particular piece and it's just not turning out right, sometimes you need to step away for a couple of days and you come back to it and you're like What's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. Mm. You know, that like, that happens a lot. Um, or you just get a f- fresh perspective, like coming back to a page or a cover or, you know, uh, a whatever pinup. Yeah. A commission. So I would say that would be the equivalent is uh, uh, taking some days away because you've been to, uh, you know, you're in, like you said, in the thick of it. You're too deep, deep in the woods to, you know, you can't see the forest from the trees. Yeah. Type thing. No, that that. And, and I think you've helped specifically put the phrasing around it where where it's 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 exactly that and the reason i know that i'm done with my fifth draft so i finished my fifth draft yesterday yesterday i had technically finished the fifth draft either the day before that or the day before that because i had said okay i did all the three big checks i want to do but i have these couple other checks and then i spent the better, you know, I spent an entire writing session just, you know, changing this, changing that, changing that. And then I went back and I read it and I was just like, fuck am I doing this? It's, it's, you know, we're, we're getting to, we're getting to the infamous. It's not better. It's just different. And if it's not better and it's just different, then I need to step the hell away from it. So mm-hmm. that is what cinched it. And so I'm done and we're going to get into what that means in my second part. And if I can think any more, then, then I'll go from there. But that's my, that's my first thing for now. So how about you, man? What was your first thing? Nice. Um, I finished a, a page, a couple of pages of second shift 12. So that was the Drawtober issue turned into a fully formed comic. Um, this year I was going to add some pages and I did so. So there were a few pages or there was one page in particular it was a hundred percent brand new. And there's a couple more pages that have new panels, just like to help with transitions and stuff like that. Um, so I have finished one of the pages and a couple of the panels. Um, I still have two panels to go, and then that will be done. But that new page is already flatted and sent to my colorist. So, you know, in my estimation, I only have two other th- other pages that I need to get to him. But that's as soon as I finish those two panels, they're going to be on their way. So things are moving along swimmingly. And uh, we're getting closer to the part where I start doing lettering for issue 10 and 12. I didn't want to start issue 10 lettering um, until I had 12 wrapped up as well. Just because it doesn't matter if I have the lettering done on one or the other. They have to both be done because it's all getting sent out at the same time. It doesn't matter. So it's just like, okay, just wait on that. Keep yourself in the drawing groove while you're in it. You know, it's like I, I feel good. No need to leave this area, no need to leave this zone mm-hmm. when you don't have to. And then when I start lettering, I won't need to leave that zone yeah. because I'll have two issues to do. So issues to do. So it'll just be a nice flow. You just keep it keep it rolling. Yeah, you're going from artist Scott to letterer Scott, right? So, uh, yeah. so yeah, yeah, pretty pretty cool. Now that did I hear that right? You're going to be done. That'll be the end of issue twelve, correct? With the art. Um, with the art. So yeah, just, it's really two panels left that I have to draw. And one of them, the thumbnail is really good. So that one, it's pretty much like, sometimes my thumbnail is very rough. 
and it's like, okay, I need to do a pencil stage on this, and then I can do the lettering stage. Sometimes my thumbnail is so precise that I can just go straight into inking. I said lettering, I think, a second ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some sometimes my thumbnail is so good that I can go straight to inking. I can skip the, the penciling stage. So, um, yeah, in this instance, one is very rough. One is super, super clean and tight, and I can just go straight into that. Mm. And uh, that won't take too long. Honestly, if I can concentrate tonight, I could probably bang those out. Nice. So here you are. You're through the art. Here Man, I am. You are really... You continue. You've just been on a roll these last few weeks. I think ever since, ever since you decided to dive headfirst into this Kickstarter, it's been a slam bang production whirlwind for you. Um, to to revisit something that we've mentioned before on the podcast, you know, the infamous time a few weeks ago when we were both at one Paseo, and we had a super quick hello with you know with Scott Daniela, me, my wife Rachel, and then my my kid Eden. Um, we were we were chopping it up a little bit, and Scott mentioned, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna launch the Kickstarter tomorrow. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this, you know, get it all taken care of tonight. Finish all this work. I got a lot of work, but I'll stay up and do it, and um and get it done. And so ever since that conversation, it just feels like you have been a a tour de force, man. You've been killing it. Yeah, I got something else too. I've been working on. And uh, yeah, that'll be my second thing. So uh, yeah, you are correct. I have been working nonstop. And um, uh, it's just, it's an exhausting time right now because I'm in the middle of a move. We pretty much finished our move today. Like all of my shit is now at Daniela's and in our storage. Mm. So it's like, it, it doesn't stop, but it's one of those things. Have you ever had, have you ever went from one job to another? You put the two weeks in. And so at for two weeks, you're working both jobs. Have you ever experienced that? I've never had anything like that work because okay. in my case, it's always, well, number one, I have not willingly left a company or two of mine. That has not been my decision. Um, and then in a couple other cases, when I gave notice, it was it was lined up to where it was a clean break. I would I would end the job on a Friday and start on a Monday. Or in one case, I ended my job, took a month off, moved out to Los Angeles, and then started shortly after. Or took you know oh, two okay. two weeks off, whatever it was in between. Yeah, when I was younger, you know, you're going from those those you know small shitty jobs or whatever yeah, menial jobs. So there, yeah, you'll you'll there'll be a point where where I had two weeks where I was going hot and heavy on both jobs, <laughs> and then when you stop. You're like, I have all this extra time. Yeah. Because you you got so used to working hard for so long. Yeah. It's like, well, I got to get out of this job, then I got to go to this job, or I got one hour off, and yada yada. Um, that's kind of how I feel right now. It's just like I went from the Drawtober thing straight into the Kickstarter, which was has been a whirlwind, and then I had to go back into the Drawtober stuff just to fill in the gaps on the new shit that I was doing. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's been a non nonstop. Uh, uh, event for a couple of months here. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. You keep on, keep on knocking stuff out. So that's good. Yes, sir. All right. So that brings us to my second thing. And as I was thinking, I do have a third thing, a little more ethereal as as I am want to be. But the second thing is actually a productive thing. So where we left off <laughs> last conversation on my first thing, I had finished my fifth draft of my novel, and so from today. I'm not planning on revisiting my novel until a day or two before that that writer retreat that I'm going to do, my my really quick turnaround writer retreat. 
that gives me about two weeks where I need to get my head out of the novel and, and don't think about it. And so what's the best way to not think about it? The best way to do that is to write something else. So I am, in fact, writing a short novella in the month of November, but oh. it's my month. It's my fucking month. So we're starting today and it's going to leak into December because uh, I can make the rules here. Um, this is how it works for me. And what I'm going to do is this this prologue from the novel that I had pulled out with the intent of making it a comic book. So let's let's catch everybody up on that. I had the prologue from the novel. I pulled it out. I was willing to kill my darling, sort of. I was willing to remove it from the novel, but I wasn't willing to let go of it because I really liked the idea. I turned that into a short story, about 35 pages. I sat that on ice for about a month, read it again and realized it is not a good comic, not enough happens, and it needs to be better. And now it is time for me to revisit that. Now, I could have spent these two weeks turning it into a skeleton outline for a comic, doing my usual comic process. But I decided I wanted to leverage this novel November idea and go ahead and write it in prose and just see what that feels like. And and the great thing about... It's about leveraging this stuff to what you want to do. You have now leveraged Drawtober to be a springboard for you to make comics. You're making comics as a result of Drawtober. Not many people can say that. What I am looking to do is use this year's Novel November as a way to springboard me into the next comic and approach it in a different way. So I have this two plus weeks off where I don't even want to think about my novel. I am going to take on this new thing and I am going to apply whatever Novel November strategies are out there to uh, force me to, to just write it and write fast and go back to this idea of no perfectionist stuff, write it. If you misspell a word, by all means, correct it. But if, if you're doing anything more than that, fuck it. You just keep going. And so I am setting an aggressive goal of 2,000 words per day. The NaNoWriMo goal is officially 3,000 words a day, which in terms of pages is a dozen. That is a lot of words, and it is way too many words for someone with the busy life that I have. I, I'm not, I'm not going to commit to that. It's setting me up to fail. Um, so what, I, what I'm either going to do is 2,000 or 1,500. I think those are, those are doable goals where I think I can average that even if I don't write it every single day. So that's going to be it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to write it in prose form. And the best part is National Novel Writing Month. It's really National First Draft Month. We've talked about that before. If you think you're coming out of this with a finished novel, you, you are very, very, very wrong. What it does do is it allows you to get a wonderful first draft out there and just throw a lot of shit at the wall and see what sticks. And the best part about this is I'm not going to edit this. It's not going to turn into a novel. It's going to turn into a comic. So by simply seeing it, it's going to give me all the, I'll, I'll take some things. I will take what is useful and I will leave what is useless. So this is going to be a wonderful springboard for that. I, I decided, I was actually hemming and hawing yesterday over whether I even wanted to do this because... I am the kind of person that does not set a goal and then not do it. I, I do all of my filtering in advance. 
So I'm thinking through it and I'm just like, can I really do this? Can I really commit to this? This is exactly what happened when I started writing the novel. I showed up for novel two class at UCLA and that's when I first met the instructor who is now my instructor, who I took a billion classes with and, you know, has has been there for any question I've had on the novel. And he said, he gave the whole, people who write novels for a living write two pages a day. Are you willing to make that commitment? And I was thinking like, fuck yeah, I will. And I drove home, and by the end of the drive, the hour-long drive home from UCLA, I knew what my plan was going to be. I was going to get rid of this. I was going to cut that. I was going to cut that. So a lot of that logic goes in here. What? How can I make my schedule work so that I can hit this achievable average of 1,500 words a day? And so yesterday I thought about it, and today I was like, nope, fuck it. Let's go. Let's do it. Now, I thought of this at about 4 o'clock, and I decided, well, let's just give it a go. Let's just give it a go. So I drop my kid off at at fencing. I go to Baja Fish Tacos. I I get some food. I order my beer and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, let's set the goal of a thousand words, a thousand words. Can you do it? And a thousand twenty, my friend, I did it in an hour, 15 minutes, a thousand twenty of just quick hit prose, not too great, but not that bad. And we'll see what happens. So I will I will update my progress over these next couple weeks and uh, we can see how it goes. So if I get through this and, and continue my goal, then I should end up having, oh, I don't know, probably at least a hundred page novella, something like that. Like it could it could get up there. And that's just with two weeks of, of devoted writing. Nice. Um, and that's that's a lesson for you guys out there. If you guys are trying to be writers, if you're aspiring writers or artists, um, it's the dedication of looking at your schedule and figuring what can be taken out and uh, to in order to put those that hour or two in per day for you to write some pages or draw some art. You know, um, we've talked about it before. I used to steal time when I could. I would uh, do 15 minutes, like if I was at my day job or something. I would, you know, draw. I would get in early. I'd draw for a half hour. Then on my 15 minute break, I'd draw again. Second 15 minute break, I would draw again. You know, before I left my job, I would have one hour of drawing. So, you know, for Keith, he's he's looking at what he can take out of the day in order to put that writing time in. So that's a sacrifice you guys need to make if you're serious about creating comic books or a, or a book. You know, whatever whatever your your creative endeavor is, you know, you need to make sure you're making your time for that. Um, talking about making stuff is super cool. Um, doing this stuff is actually work. So yeah. uh, make sure you're actually taking time and uh, setting that aside. Yeah, and w- one other note on top of that. The the adopted gold standard that everybody seems to quote these days um, comes from Malcolm Gladwell's book. Oh, God, I can't remember which one it is, but it's the 10,000 yeah, hour rule. 10,000 hours. The 10,000 mm-hmm. hour rule. So to give everyone an idea what 10,000 hours sounds like. So the, the concept is you become a master at something when you invest 10,000 hours of your life in it. So if you were going to do one hour every day. My math may be a little loose, but it's like 28 years of an hour a day. That's what 10,000 hours looks like. Well, what if you do two hours a day, though? Well, now you've cut that right. time in half. Now you can go from zero to mastery in 14 years. And uh, and then it becomes fluid on what you consider time. You know, is is spending two hours a day writing a novel or drawing are those the only two hours that count toward these 10,000 hours or does watching a video on how to draw better count? Cause I would say that counts, 
you know, you're, you're learning the craft, you're learning the skill. It's not just applying the skill. The other stuff counts in your brain. So therefore it sort of counts. I'm not saying, you know, start at zero and start counting up to 10,000, but I'm just giving an idea of it because mastery takes time, no matter how many uh, hours a day you spend, but the more time you're willing to devote to it, well, the quicker you can become excellent at it. Yeah. Even, and, and that goes for the writing as well. It's not when your pen touches paper, it's like, all of the work that you do beforehand, you know, you're taking a walk, you're thinking about things, you know, you're thinking about the story that you want to create. Um, those count as well. So, but also another saying is, uh, once you start counting your hours, you've already lost mm. something like that. Nice. Right. So the, the 10,000 hours, it's, um, it is, a uh, just the dedication to the craft. I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, Obviously, if you do count the hours and you're at 10,000, then good for you. You've put in the work. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess in that sense, you've never lost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my second thing. Um, okay. So when you said, do I have time to do this? That same thing happened to me both Drawtobers. Before each one, I'm like, do I really have time to do this? I'm, I'm doing all this other shit. I'm drawing this. I'm drawing that. Right. I think the first Drawtober... Um, I might have been finishing Wanders or trying to finish Wanders too. So I was really crunched on time then. Um, this one, there was just so much going on to the point where I was like, do I even feel like doing this? I'm trying to wrap issue 10 of Second Shift and then I'm just going to hop into this. And uh, so there, there was just a lot going on. I've been wanting to start Wanders 3. That's It's, it's well overdue. Um, but sometimes you just have to make the commitment. And, and honestly, I wish more people would do the novel November or the Drawtober um, in the purpose of using it. Like, that's just, it's like, I don't know, it kind of drives me nuts when I see people out there that haven't created their comic that they've been talking about forever. And then you just see them doing the Inktober or the Drawtober or the whatever-tober, you know, uh, you decide to pick. It's like, so you're, you're just dicking around again. You're not, you know, and, and it's tough because there are people out there, they're just... You know, they're dreamers, and there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer. I'm a dreamer, too. I've chased my dreams my entire life. But the difference is I put in the work because I understand that the way you achieve dreams is through hard work. You know, it's like it's like when people say, well, I'm I'm really lucky. You know, it's all luck. Eh, it's luck. W what is luck? Luck is um, preparation w when opportunity comes knocking, right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what luck is. Yep. So th there's, you know... You have to do the work. It's not just all bullshit. You're not just sitting in your mom's basement, you know, thinking about writing a story and someone's coming up handing you a, a contract or something like that. That's not how yeah. it works. You got to put the work in. Or your dad's basement or your own basement. We're equal opportunity here. <laughs> With that, so the Drawtober stuff got done and, and all that good stuff. Um, speaking of the Drawtober this year, I was going to do a completely different story with a completely different character. It was based off of... Uh, me covering a story that I wasn't sure that was going to get done for an anthology. And so I created a new character for it. Um, and honestly, I, I'm still excited to do that character as soon as I can. And to the point where um, I got in. So my, my buddy, who is also my neighbor, he was my neighbor. Um, he wanted to use my Disney Plus account. And uh, so I gave him the password. No problem. It's not a big deal. You know, I got an extra account on there. You can use it or whatever. Um, but his job is 3D graphic design. And, uh, I was just like, he was posting stuff up on his social media and I was like, dude, this shit is badass. I wonder if he can create this monster for me. 
And uh, in that story that I was going to do, there's this monster. And uh, I was like, hey, man, what do you think a little barter action? You know, you keep using that password, no problem. Use that Disney Plus. And uh, maybe you, you design a little monster. You do a little 3D, you know, 3D image of my character. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you think of that? And he goes, yeah. Well, uh, what's it look like? You know, because it's like, look, I understand. What he does for a living is way more expensive than a monthly 10, 15 bucks, whatever the hell yeah. Disney Plus costs. Eight. Who knows what that is? Eight dollars. Yeah. Okay. So I understand the, <laughs> it's not exactly even. Yeah. So I understood if he said no. And I told him that too. I said, look, if it's too much of an ass, don't even worry about it. Who cares? Right. He goes, yeah, it depends what it looks like. So I sent him and he goes, yeah, I could do that. Okay. I was like, okay, cool. So uh, the thing that I did this week was turnarounds. So the taking my, my uh, normal job, one of my side, my side hustles there, the freelance work of doing the characters, the toys, the turnarounds. I applied that to one of my, my drawings. And I said, okay, I'll do a turnaround for this creature and uh, send it his way. So I knocked that out a couple of days ago. I was working on the coloring of that today, uh, right before this. And uh, I finished that up. So that was something else that I got to do and, and pretty happy. I'm just banging shit out and I have a potential 3D uh, character. So once I'm ready to print that, uh, once, once that's finished, I'm going to hit up your boy that does your Kadoja statues and see what's what, how much whatever costs. And uh, see if he's able to. Oh, you mean my three D three D printer friend? Yeah. yeah, rock on. Yeah, yeah. He follows me on Instagram. Oh, he and does. I, I started following him. Yeah, rock on. And uh, so I'm gonna hit him up and see how much that costs. If he's open to doing it, obviously. Yeah. Um, if not, no biggie. I'll try to find someone else. But it would be nice to keep it in the family there. Yeah. So Make, I mean, uh, he, yeah. And I'm sure he knows that we know each other. But don't be afraid to bring that up either. And if you want me to, oh, for sure. Me to fire off a quick note, I always will. We we. We keep an open line all the time about writing, about death metal, about whatever. So, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if he listens to the podcast because that's when he started following me. Maybe. So maybe. So Alec, hey, you out uh, there? <laughs> Alec, you listening? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Say hi. I might right hit now. you up soon, Say buddy. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> I might hit you up soon, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. You you do nice work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, look that that is that is exactly like turnips for geese in the medieval times. Or whatever the fuck people exchange the barter system for. I don't know. I, I knew turnips, but I don't know okay. what this. I can't think of a second thing. So geese seems <laughs> fair. Geese seems. I fair. was like, I don't know this expression. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and let him explain. I made that it up. One. I made it up. I made it up. All right, turnips for geese. I turnips like it. for geese, bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're bartering old <laughs> that's school. A, yeah, that's a t-shirt. All right, so uh, I did have a third thing I wanted to talk about quickly, which I was thinking about. You know, just just now. I, uh, you know, a lot of this, this is like a mental block and something I've mentioned before, back to comics about Kadoja volume four is that Will Perkins is drawing issue one after issue one, he is going on to draw Goblin two. Now he did a book with Eric Grissom, uh, a great writer who also helped me out with lettering uh, volume three of Kadoja. He, uh, they, they wrote a book called Goblin. They did a book called Goblin for Dark Horse. It, it did well. And there is going to be a Goblin too. So after Will finishes Kadoja volume four, number one, he's going to go do Goblin for a while, which leaves me in this position where I'm not sure what I do. You know, Will has, has said he doesn't want to leave me in the lurch, but I also get the feeling that, you know, after Goblin, what if he wants to just go on and do his own creations? So... 
something I talked uh, I talked with a couple people about today is like what were their thoughts on Kadoja Volume Four of each issue being done by a different artist, and every single person came back and said, "Sure, I dig it. Like, why not? Why not? You know, I." I do envy the longevity that you and Ed have on on Second Shift. It's it's great. Um, I just I have not had that happen. I mean, I had a nice little run with Rory, basically ten issues, nine and a half, if you want to say inking, because somebody else came in and inked some of Rory's stuff at the end of Volume Two. But Volume Three had two artistic teams. Volume Four is going to have at least two. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, I got the confidence I need to just go ahead and start seeking out some artists, and I guess I'm just going to make every book by a different artist. I mean, do you have a thought on that? Do you are do you have any continuity issues with something like that? Uh, okay, so there's two two schools of thought on this. Do you a um, find artists that draw similar to Will Perkins? Or two, did I say A? So two. <laughs> this what kind is of beer you got there, brother? <laughs> five. This is a five point five, but I had a very light dinner. Okay, I was gonna um, say no, no exuquez. Sorry, my my kid one time a couple years ago, she wanted something for Christmas and said, "I want this," and then she tried to put no excuses, but spelled it E X U. C-E-S, so it was no exuquez. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like no regerts. Exactly. No regerts. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a line, I uh, what's his name? It's in Home Alone. It's his brother. Is it Bud? It's uh, the, the dickhead, dickhead brother that picks on that has the tarantula. And he goes, he was saying something to him, and he said, A, 2, and D. <laughs> So <laughs> nice. nice. That's a nice, that's a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, okay. So do you find someone that draws like Will Perkins, Will Perkins and, or do you get someone or each issue have an extreme style change? And so if you're going to have four different, is it four issues or is it five? It, issues? Yeah. Volume four is four. Okay. So do you have four completely different styles or do you find someone that can kind of ape will um, for three issues? So that's something that you have to decide which is a better option for you. Mm -hmm. Do you want the last volume potentially of this story forever to be four different styles that potentially will take people out of it? Or they'll go, hey, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's kind of where you fall on that and how you feel about that. Yeah. So um, uh, it can go either way. Yeah. It, it can be a thing where, hey, this is actually pretty cool. Or it can go, ah, man, it's like, I wish that one, I wish that was, you know, it's the final one. Like, yeah. Like, I wish it was all the same. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so also a chance. So something Will had talked about before was he floated the idea of possibly coming back for issue four which would kind of be cool too. So, yeah. but, but it's, a you know, because he's working on Goblin for so long, I don't want to just hang around and not do anything. So it's possible. Like if I could get Will to do the bookends and then have a couple different ones in the middle, I think that would work too. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm gonna, if that was, if that was the case, then I would try to find someone that was similar to him. Mm. Okay. Like so... me person, me personally, that would be my taste was, Find someone that's similar enough to where someone who is not um, 
like so high on art that they notice that the change is there. Mm-hmm. And you know, it can be like kind of obvious, but if you have the same, I don't know, the same lettering and everything, like people might just not even realize yeah. that it happened. Well, and I wonder if black and white's the great equalizer too. Black and white can probably help a lot. So I'm going to bleep this out, but I, I, I'm going to bleep out the name in a second. Okay. I like style number one. I like the idea of number one. Because the thing is, I don't know if Will's coming back for number four. I like the number one because ish, uh, the fourth arc is pretty batshit. <laughs> you know, like I'm pretty pleased with the big concepts that are there. So I think it's the kind of thing that that I could pull off. And I'm almost willing to let it hinge on my ability to get a certain artist for issue two or three. Oh. Oh, wow. I wonder how much he would cost. I, I just bleeped that out. But now what do you think? Like, that is that is a style that is different from Will. But boy, would I like to see it. Boy, would I like to see it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be super cool. I'm very curious if that would even be a possibility because um, from the book that I found him on, I think that was his book. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he is an artist that is just doing his own stuff or he's an artist out there looking for uh, interior work. Anyway, I'll, I'll edit all that out. But I, I yeah, yeah, I, just so, cut all and you're, and you're basically like, yeah, that sounds cool. Right. If I can get yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. And, I, and I'd be willing to pay a little bit more for him because who knows what issue three's artist is going to be, you know, like there was an artist that I've been entertaining, but, uh, but that artist has a pretty high page rate. I'd be willing to pay that page rate, but I need to be really excited to pay that page rate. And I think that's where it is with this artist in, in the, in the lurch. I think their stuff is good, but I'm not excited for spending that money. If I'm, and if I'm not excited for spending that level of money, then I don't think I should. Um, so, no. and, and like, yeah, if you're spending absolutely. that money, then, then see if you can make it worth it. Um, so anyway, so we'll see where that all ends up, but it was a good conversation to have with a couple people today. And it sounds like you're, you're willing to go with whatever. Again, I, I do think the more I think about it, the black and white can be the great equalizer there. And, uh, so we'll see where it all ends up. We'll see where it all ends up. Everything's up in the nice, air, man. but it did free me up a little bit to think, which is, which is good and, and explore some other ideas. Yeah, that all that all sounds very cool, man. Uh, the the possibilities are endless, yes. and so it's going to be exciting to hear what comes next. Word up. Um, so I think we're ready to move on to the main main topic of the episode, and that is setting the scene. So this is something I thought of today. I ran it by Keith. He liked it. Um, he's going to let me start because he wants to uh, vamp off of off of what I say. Every page that you do when you're changing the scene or you're starting the comic. You are setting the scene for the audience. What does that scene look like? How do you get the audience into the mind frame of where the issue starts or, or you know, when you're changing scenes in the middle of the book or whatever? How do we do that? Okay, as an artist, you do establishing shots. Um, typically, you want to do, like, if okay, if you're in New York, you do a, a New York skyline or whatever. Say that Spider-Man is swinging through the city. So you can do a New York skyline with a silhouette of Spider-Man and everyone can understand what's going on where you're at. Um, th- that's just one example. There's many examples. You know, are you inside of a building? Are you inside of a house? You want to do those establishing shots first. You always want to get the exterior and then bring people in, you know. Um, what what would be another way you can tackle that as a writer? What, uh, what other ways... 
um, would you do? What other tricks can you do? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take your idea and I'm going to give my version of that idea and then I'm going to give an inversion of it. So when you talk about establishing shots, a full disclosure here, since we have started recording this podcast, you have given me the idea of establishing shots. And so what I've been doing is now consciously setting up establishing shots when I've had the chance. So Kadoja volume four, number one does have some examples of that because again, I am scripting panels. I am calling shots. Will has the freedom to do whatever he wants. But again, he said he wants to see my vision laid out as, as thoroughly as possible on the page so he can then do what he wants with it. But I've been become conscious about it. So what'll be interesting is in a book like animals, which is going to come out later, um, I really did not do that. I just let the artist kind of do whatever. So there's not as much of a conscious effort on establishing shots. So I would say that, number one, I have now started to try to do establishing shots where I can to set the reader in the scene. And that is something I have learned just by listening to you, listening to some other people, and taking some of the learnings from the artistic side to date on this podcast so that I can uh, incorporate that into my writing. So thank you because it's it's made the writing interesting. It's given me a a rule that I can choose to either obey or not. And that's where we get to the inversion. Let's talk about what I think would be an obvious inversion. A case where you okay, so I I've mentioned before in general, in general, you always at least in in novels, but I think in in comics too. Well, certain type of comics. You there is an argument to be made that you don't need to have a, an establishing shot for any every scene, right? Let's talk about it in the comics context. Context, you you don't have to have an establishing shot for every single scene. Arguably, you'd say you need an establishing shot for every location that is in the book, and then if you go back to that location, you don't need to reestablish it. If if you're at the police precinct station or whatever, and and you're doing an establishing shot the first time, and you're with character Dan. Then the next time you go back to Dan, you don't really need the establishing shot again. You know what? You're at the fucking precinct, right? So you don't have to get too into that. But where I think establishing shots of a new look, and these are all just ideas, where I think establishing shots, you can use that inversion a little bit is you jump the person right into scene. And then you pull back the camera or you give the wider angle where the establishing shot reveals information that you are choosing to withhold for dramatic purposes. That would be one example. If two people are sitting at a table and they are having dinner and that's where you start, well, there's two ways you could pull that back. You could, number one, show that they're at a nice restaurant uh, at a skyscraper overlooking Manhattan, 53 floors up. That would be pretty neat. Or get your drinks ready. You could find out that they're dining inside a ship that's inside the belly of a big space beast. You know, that that's going to tell you two different things. And what's interesting about that ridiculous example is the context is going to tell you a lot. If people are having a relaxed dinner atop, you know, top of the sixes, a restaurant which may not even be there anymore in New York, then that's going to set a very different scene than if they're having, uh, they're dining inside the belly of an intergalactic beast because they're going to convey different things. So that's where you can use the same thing and its inversion to whatever effect you want to do. 
Yeah, and, and it doesn't always have to be an exterior. It can be an interior. Just it's all on the shot that the artist is choosing. And, uh, you know, like, for instance, it could be like, let's let's take that example. It's someone's eating. All right. It's, it's a close up of a mouth eating a chicken leg, taking a bite out of a chicken leg. It zooms out. Uh, it's a family dinner. They're around a table. You you don't need to know what the outside of the building looks like. You already know what's going on. You've seen the inside of a home before. So so there's there's those different examples. Another reason why I wanted to do this this topic specifically is uh, something I could delve in with the artists. So when you do your establishing shots, that can help out a lot with your background. Say you're someone who doesn't love drawing backgrounds, you're not big on them. Something that you definitely need to do is make sure your very first panel where you're establishing a new scene, you detail the shit out of that background. Let everyone know where that character is, those characters are. So in their mind going forward, if you don't change the scene, they stay in that building. Let's let's say it's a laboratory um, or a kitchen. Let's Let's stay with the kitchen theme, all right? So you draw the shit out of that kitchen table, everyone's eating, uh, make sure everyone gets an idea where these characters are. And if these characters are having a conversation moving forward in that same scene, you don't have to draw as many details, you don't have to draw the entire table, you can do close-ups of just the characters talking, maybe they have uh, something in their hand you know, while they're speaking. So you still, the audience still gets the idea that the character is still there at the dinner table. You're not having to draw every nook and cranny of that room because you've already established it. And that's a little shortcut uh, that you can do as an artist so you don't have to spend so much time all the time on backgrounds. You you can save a lot of your mental drawing space uh, for those those initial shots, and then you can move forward with sparser details. Um, you know, obviously having a lot of details uh, in your background always helps, but at the same time, you don't want to overclutter your background. You have to pick the right time to use that information or your whole page it kind of becomes a jumbled mess. Yeah, yeah. And as, as you've been talking, the thing that I keep coming back to is that this is really where you can harness the power of the comic medium. This, this in a lot of ways, is what comics were made for. You know, something I've, I've almost said this on some previous podcasts, and unfortunately I can't remember the context where I almost said it before. But I believe it is, oh boy, it's either Plato or Socrates that had this idea of the ergon, of the proper function. It's where, you know, it, it's from the Greek word, I think, ergon, which is where ergonomic comes from. So ergon is this idea, again, if I remember my philosophy right, that, that there, is, there, is the, there are these things that are the best thing at what an item does. So if you have a butter knife, the best thing it does is spread butter on bread. It, it can cut bread okay, but that's not its ergon. Its ergon is to spread butter on bread or spread something on bread. And I bring that up because this is where we get into, my opinion, the real ergon of the comics medium, where you can you can take so many chances with the comics medium and use scene setting in a million different ways. You know, you can all these conversations we're having, you can also choose to not set the scene on purpose 
because it's going to create confusion in the reader. It's going to create uncertainty. And if you want that, then it's a great thing to use because you can have all this stuff going on. And if you just give a whiff of something not quite being right, but you're not giving the reader the clues they want, you can use that anxiety to your advantage. You know, And this is, again, it goes back to the absence of it can be the presence of it, depending on how well you use it. I thought of four or five different flips on that, on, on simply having someone eat a, eat a, a, a chicken leg and, and what the next panel could look like. And all those build into what makes a comic a comic. So, I mean, scene setting is huge. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's environment. It's all the contextual clues that you want to give. No word should be accidental. And no line stroke should be accidental. They should all have some purpose. Um, whether they're there or not, they should all have purpose. And that purpose ideally should serve your story at all times. So, again, we could we could probably do 10 podcasts on this, on just, you know, variants on how to do this. But it's really where you can harness the medium and get creative with things to draw. Because all you have to do is think it and draw it. That's the best part. That's the best part. And uh, touching back to something we've talked about for, before was talking heads. So if you have an aversion to talking heads, this, this is another example where you can go the other way. So you do that establishing shot, the people around the table eating, blah, 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 the close-up of the mouth. The rest of your panels, if you don't feel like having, if, if you establish which two characters, let's, if you establish which two characters are talking, and this is somewhere something where the letter could come into play. If uh, um, you know you don't want to keep drawing people's heads talking, if you want to get rid of the talking heads thing, you can do a, a panel of someone scooping some mashed potatoes. You know, you could have a panel of someone cutting the turkey. Like there's there's things you can do where you're not drawing the people just solely talking. You know, there uh, use the environment. You know, if you don't have the aversion to drawing backgrounds and you want to experiment with what's going on on the page, you can do everything but draw the talking heads. So that that's just another way to go. But it's it's setting the scene however you're using it. You know, like if you're going to do it the way Keith is talking about, let's throw a spin on there. It's a close-up of a man taking a bite from something. Uh, people are talking. People are loving this meal. The last panel of that page is, it's a human body. They're all cannibals. Exactly you know I mean? one of the so, things I thought. Exactly one of the five flips. Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just don't show what they're eating. Show the, show the, the you know, you could show the cut. You know, um, it just looks like a piece of chicken or a piece of steak or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what human flesh looks like I'm, when it's cut. I'm sure you can find out on the Internet. I'm sure you can cube it. So, um, you know, you, you have those characters doing that. And then that's the last shot. You see what they were eating. They, they, we don't tell you through the whole thing. You know, that's something you can do. It's just playing with the medium, like like Keith was saying. So there's a lot of ways to tackle this. You know, there's the, the sneaky way with the initial shot with a lot of drawing. And then you do your talking heads. You move, hey, before you know it, you got two to three pages done. And you did one background. You know, you did some sparse backgrounds here and there. Or you want to go the other way. You make it more interesting. Um, and then you, you, do, you do all that stuff. You, you take account of what's going on in the room. And, uh, you know, those are, there's just two ways to think about that. And there's tons of ways to do it. It's all about purpose. Let's unpack the scene that Scott just did. Okay. On the fly, you, you have a person eating a bite of meat. You have a person scooping mashed potatoes. You have conversation that I'm assuming is mundane. 
because what we are going for is, you know, uh, boy, I might not pronounce it right, but mundanity, mundanity, you know, the the everyday, the rote. That's what that's what what Scott was doing there in crafting this scene on the fly is he's making everything rote until we get to the big thing at the end. And the nice thing about that is this because if it has purpose, then you're good. So if that bite at the beginning, that scoop of mashed potatoes, that lame conversation or not lame conversation, but that conversation that sounds like a lot of other people's conversations. Yeah, but maybe, but maybe it maybe is it's lame or maybe it's 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 <laughs> at least. Yeah, I mean, it's mundane. No matter what you're doing, right. you're making it mundane and you're doing that on purpose because the re- big reveal comes at the end. If you are doing all those mundane things and there is no reveal at the end, you have just given yourself a signal that that scene does not belong here at all. We do not have time for the mundane, you know, unless unless the mundane has a purpose. And if it has a purpose, then that's the story you're telling. These kind of cues, again, if I'm not saying you could have, have Soylent Green be people at the end of, of these scenes, right? We're just using this as an example. But when it comes to checklists on whether scenes should be there, whether you are drawing the right thing, etc., you know, like take a look and see if you're drawing panels that shouldn't be there, that don't need to be there. If you remove it, what happens? If you remove this scene, what happens? And uh, if, if something important happens that you need, well, then you do need the scene. But, but it's these kind of checklists that help. And I know we've taken a little bit of a right turn, but it is where this subject takes us, I think, in a natural way. That setting the scene is not accidental. It needs to be purposeful. It needs to serve the story. And there's a bunch of ways that you can do it. Or you can do the inverse of it and it's still going to work as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah, and that's something for the writers too out there. That's something you need to be describing to your artists. Um, Ed Ed does that with me. He, He gives details on what's going on. So we do have these mundane scenes uh, where people like the second shift, they're in the apartment and, you know, someone's cooking or someone's doing whatever they're changing. And it's what people do in life. Right. But the same time, they're having a conversation that's pushing the for the story forward. They're talking about the villain. They're talking about this crime scene. They're talking about this explosion. Uh, and it's pushing it all forward. There's a purpose there. We, what we're doing in the second shift specifically is we want people to show or, or to see that these superheroes are human. They have to deal with this normal mundane shit. That's that's part of the hook of the second shift. So we do a lot of that, but it's always purposeful. Like exactly. as Keith was saying, you have to have a purpose. Why are they there? Why are they back at the apartment? Well, because... For one, they were at their day jobs. Now we need to see them changed. And then we need to explain to the audience why we're going to this dumpster or something looking for human bones. So like stuff like that, it's all purposeful. You need you need to uh, move your story forward in, in any way you can. And, and scenes like this, you know, yeah. they're very helpful. And I mean, I think in that case, what you're talking about for stuff for the second shift is it is the theme of the second shift is minimum yeah. wage superheroes. So if you have the superheroes without the minimum wage, then what kind of book do you have? So that's superheroes. yeah, you have a superhero book. We have superhero yeah. books. Um, we got so many. Exactly, and and so so that's that's why you know that's why this stuff is important. You know we're gonna we're gonna go on a little pet peeve of mine. We haven't done a pet peeve in a really long time. 
<clears throat> I do love the pet peeve section. And and this pet peeve, maybe it I don't know. It, it's let's just assume it's just me and see if anybody else thinks it. A huge pet peeve of mine. And it happens it it happens in comics, it happens in books, it happens in visuals. Is whenever you happen upon a, an important character and they are sitting on a fucking throne by themselves. Like that's what you do all day. You just sit on a throne. You know, like I cannot pay attention to that. Like ride this bandwagon with me. I'm not going to drive it alone. I need some people here. Okay. Like it is, it drives me batty. And it's always that same fucking throne position too. You know, the one I'm talking about, it's like one leg up and it's like the badass thing on the throne pose. And it's just, or, um, or man spread. Yeah. Yeah. The man spread. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's the one leg up and there's the man spread. And it's just, what were they doing before that? Where you just, did you wait? You know, like it would be a fun thing to invert and have someone just sit there for 17 hours waiting for someone to walk in as they hold that pose so that people could walk in and be like, oh, I see you've happened on me. Yeah, the, if that happened in the second shift, he would be reading a magazine and be start, when he heard the door uh, creak open, he would panic and hide the magazine behind the throne and then take the position. The man spread position. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. anyway, just uh, I was I was reading a comic just now and came across that. And I've been thinking it a lot, but this was the one that really focused it, really focused it. Anyway, yeah, Game um, of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Did we want to talk any more about uh, <laughs> setting the scene and how it how it relates to story? No, I think I tackled uh, the elements that I wanted to on the art end. If you're good on the writer's end, yeah, I think we're good with that one. I mean, I riffed on it. This this was a great episode for me to be sober because I'm not sure. I could have thought about this <laughs> with my usual 8% in me. So, uh, nice. so hopefully, hopefully it worked out for everyone. All right. So this is uh, the end of the making comics portion of this podcast. So I'm sure we've got some other stuff to talk about. Uh, what's on your mind, buddy? You know what's on my mind. I sent you the goddamn text a couple hours ago. Yeah, I know. But they didn't read it. They didn't read it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You mean you mean all of our listeners did not read the text that I sent you two weeks from yes. when this airs? <laughs> Correct. How does this internet thing work? I thought I knew I how it know. worked. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we are now on my second episode running where the Fantastic Four 49 book has not shown up. And so two weeks ago, uh, at the end of the episode with Gary, I mentioned it. And I said, hey, I got my ship notification. I get a delivery notification three, four days later. And it says, hey, your, your, your book's in transit, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's in Los Angeles. It, it might get delivered today. That was eight days ago. It spent four in Los Angeles and then one getting from Los Angeles to City of Industry or two and then another one getting prepared. And then it went out for delivery today. One of the reasons that my shipping was so expensive through CGC is because it was signature required. My kid oh, is home is home from school. She missed she missed the package. So she I get home and she's like uh, I was like, "Oh, what packages are those?" cuz I knew it was getting delivered today. And she's like, "Oh, that's that's one other thing." She's like, "I missed one. The person knocked and I missed it and then I quick tried to run after them, but they were they were gone." And I'm thinking like, "You had one job." But then again, I, I didn't, I didn't lay it out in fairness. I didn't, I didn't lay it out. I didn't give her any warning. So she didn't know. So I was like, oh crap, I think that was it. And then I check my tracking on USPS and it says, sure enough, delivery failed. So it, it, here's what it proves. 
it proves that Frodo didn't get his kid to throw that ring in Mount Doom. You know, <laughs> he had to do it. And and so I am picking this thing up at the post office tomorrow. It is the questeth must end. I am assuming the damn thing will be there, although I'm really not putting anything by. I was so happy two weeks ago. I was. I was just like, this is great. It's finally going to show up. Man, it is not showing up. So I I have to walk this final little bit through Mordor slash Chino to get to the post office. (laughs) And and some people might compare Chino to Mordor. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so so that's where we are. That's where we are. And, uh, And hopefully... This will be but a memory, and I'll laugh at it when I hear this uh, back in a little while. So, how about you, man? Let's let's hope so. Yeah, and I could see that Sandman number one sitting in that shadow box on your shelf. There looks looks fantastic. It does. It does, and it's going to have a friend in Fantastic Four Forty Nine once it shows up. I'll probably have to move that down over here um, because I have the second shadow box, or I'll I'll put them both there. So we'll see. It it would look nice as paired shadow boxes up there, but uh, I'll have the flexibility. So yeah, empty shadow box to my left over here, awaiting, just just waiting, just waiting. <laughs> anyway, how about you? Uh, nothing new, man. I'm just like, I've been super chill. It's the holiday season. We are actually, we started super early. So as we've mentioned a couple of times, we're still in November uh, as we record this. And we are, I want to say, 85 to 90% done with our Christmas shopping. So um, that has been taking all of the funds. Plus, we had a fun little adventure where our baby English bulldog, uh, when I say baby, he's 55 pounds. He's one year old. And uh, he decided, I'm going to fuck up the female uh, English bulldog we have, who is five years old, who she constantly attacks him. But one day he got a bee up in his bonnet and he decided that he's going to fuck her up. And so he scratched her eye. And I think we're about $2,000 in the hole trying to uh, make sure her eye is still intact, which it's almost completely healed. And uh, yeah, man. So any kind of extra funds I do not have right now. So (laughs) it's a it's a whole thing. And by being Um, a one year old bulldog, that means that bulldog, by my calculations, is going to grow up to be 700 pounds. So that's yeah. amazing. That's crazy. He's just going to steal everyone's lunch money. <laughs> I think that's the and, way it uh, works. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how it works. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's he's funny. Gonna join, she's going to join a gang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but you know what's interesting is, so I, I met I met Ed for lunch today. Uh, so Ed, if you're listening, then today was the day we, we met for lunch. And oh, uh, yeah, it was great because he's he's off for the week. So and I work very, very close to where he lives. So uh, so, yeah, we were able to meet up and talk. And um, so we were talking a little bit about collecting. I was asking him about that. And then I was listening back to Gary and and, you know, his collecting and how it's it's, uh, you know, definitely uh, not as insane. Uh, yeah, because Ed was basically saying he lives vicariously through you and I with all the shit we collect <laughs> through our collecting problems. But um, I, I was thinking about it in the moment. I just I don't want anything right now. And in fact, you know what? I'm going to make a bold declaration. I'm going to make a bold declaration. Aside from my new comics at the shop, which I'm, I'm going to get my new comics, I'm not going to buy a comic until February 1st. That's my bold declaration. Oh wow! Just new comics. Month, or I, two months. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want anything. So let's put this out there by saying it. It's gonna help me stick to it. I don't want to speak it into existence. I speak it into existence, like Lavar Ball, and uh, and I will just, I will make this work because I got two short boxes of comics I haven't read, maybe more. 
so let's enjoy what I have. It's the holiday season. I'll keep getting my new comics for the ones that are ongoing because I have holds and I want to be a respectful, you know, patron of my shop and not just be like, nah, screw you. I won't pay for three months. <laughs> you know, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody. Right. So anyway, I, I don't want anything. So this will be a very easy thing to uh, to speak into existence. So just there's there's nothing out there. I, I, I'm happy. And uh, let's let's force myself to not get something if I want something. And then we'll see what things look like in February. Yeah, I think I'm in the same position. The only thing that I actually want, uh, number one, I'm super into these Golden Age Daredevils, so every time a low issue comes up, I'm kind of like, whoa, I want to get that. Um, but two is Monsters. Uh, the You know, the the uh, Barry Windsor Smith yeah. hardcover. It looks amazing. I want that in my collection. After I saw it on Gary's shelf, it reminded me I wanted that book. Yeah. So I would say those are the only things, and I am doing my weekly pulls, and I am finally back on track of reading comics on a basic a daily basis. Nice. I would say so. I'm I'm caught up on the most part for the most part, but in the move, I think I'm missing some of my current issues. Like uh, vinyl, I have number five, but I don't know where the fuck number four is. Mm. And so I think I'm pretty sure I bought it. And if I didn't, the two comic shops that are close to me do not have it. I oh. checked. Yeah, it's four vinyl number four. Vinyl number four. I'll, so I'll if you got your shop, yeah. I I'm, I might okay. go. We'll see. Well, no, I don't. I don't know if I'll get a chance to go this week, but I can always ask him. I'll just ask him. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, the two close by are tapped out. They don't have it. And uh, so I'm a little bummed about that. If your shop doesn't have it, then I might turn to eBay, something like that. Maybe I'll get a, get another set of it or something. Because I have two copies of issue one, but I ended up getting one of all the other ones. Mm. And, I, and I definitely wanted two sets of vinyl. So, um, yeah, that kind of bums me out. But hopefully I can get some organiza- organizational bins in here for, for my shelving and uh, get my collection back in order and know where everything is. But... Like, I don't know if you can see behind me. My room is insane. There's boxes everywhere. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's way more than when I was there. Oh, dude. Like, we're going to have to get creative um, if you ever crash over. Because I don't know at this point if the air mattress will fit in here. It doesn't look like it will now. Um, But we're going to figure something out. Like, I might have to get rid of my art table, which isn't a big deal because I barely use it. I basically use it just for the pod these days. Yeah. And beyond that, it just collects shit. Like, stuff just gets stacked on here until I have to do the pod, then I clear it off. So we'll we'll see how it goes. We're going to figure something out. And um, I got to go through all of these, these boxes throw all of these toys on eBay or something. There's just so many collectibles that I collected over the years that it's just the whole reason for collecting a good portion of them was to turn around and sell them as mm-hmm. I got older. You know, like I, 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 I bought into that stuff when I was younger. It's just like, oh, hold these collectibles. Someday in the future, they'll be worth something. And I did it. And and to be honest, I was right. Like a lot of the stuff that I have collected over the years, the things that I do collect are things that I enjoy. It's not like, I'm collecting, you know, Barbies from the 1980s or something like that. It's like, I don't give a shit about Barbies. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I do like is Megatron. So I have a shitload of Transformers of Megatron, mm-hmm. different versions of them. So, you know, uh, when, when stuff like that happens, you can turn around and get rid of them and uh, be okay that you've been holding on to them for years and just looking at them while they're in the box. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, it's a whole process. All right, man. All right. Yeah, I think we come to a close. Um, 
my Kickstarter is over. So hopefully you guys have backed it at this point. Uh, uh, in our life, it is still going, but as when this airs, it is over. Um, if you didn't back it, um, shame on you. You really should have. Because there's some cool stuff in there. Yeah. But hey, if, if you want to make me feel better, you can go to accidentalaliens.com. And I sell my comics there. Uh, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night. And Wanderers of Milisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets. We come across the planet Milisanda where the meteor never hit. So the dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. So uh, two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Does that work? It never works. Hmm. And then for me, you can go to keithrfoster.com. There are some there are some goodies there, some articles, some blog posts that have that are aging like fine wine. And there's also a Kadoja web store. And uh, so I, by the time this goes up, I should have some new things added because the conventions will be behind me. I will have just finished uh, both of them, and we'll be putting some things on. So hopefully, I have the three protectors ash can by then. And if I have any left, well, it'll go up on the site. And there are some other things I'm selling at the shows that if I have any left, I'll put those up on the site as well. And so, yeah, KeithRFoster.com. Yeah, hopefully some of you guys out there went to the, one of these conventions, Emerald City or San Diego Special Edition, and uh, said hi to Keith. And uh, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep. Keith underscore decibel is my I, I share a lot of my stories there but I don't do a lot of posts and then Kadoja Kaiju uh, all one word on Instagram I do a ton of posts but I don't do a lot of stories but uh, hey you can follow both um, there's always stuff going on and I'm I'm, I'm posting uh, every other day sometimes more frequently depending so that's how you can find me on the social medias and if you liked the stuff that we talked about today, but you have questions you wanted to add to uh, setting the scene, or you had questions about setting the scene from the artist perspective or writer perspective, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Or if you have, if you want to chime in on my multi-artist Kadoja throwdown, um, I'd, I'd love to hear from some people out there if you got a second. And also, if you got a second, you can go to Apple Podcasts. You can throw us five stars and ideally throw some nice words behind it. That stuff really helps. You cannot do it on Spotify because I checked. I think I mentioned that mm. before, but if not, I you did not. I okay. fucking checked because that's the kind of research I do. I, that's what we do here at this this making comics podcast. Hard, hard research. It's like it's like we're stockbrokers. That's that's how much we're researching <laughs> this shit. Just like just like tons of MIT grads researching stock prices. That's how hard we're working to research your ability to give us five stars in multiple formats. So Apple podcast is the place to go. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of making comics and we'll catch you guys next week. Yay. Yay. Yeah, yeah.